Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father and Jesus Christ our Lord. Our sermon text comes from Luke chapter 22, verse 14. And when the hour came, Jesus reclined at the table and his disciples with him. Nights like tonight, we really recognize our own shortcomings. Here we are literally sweating out our sins. And we wonder how it is that we could ever sit at table with Jesus. Who of us could could wash the feet of the disciples, and those same feet that would run away before the night's end? And one of those feet would run over to Jesus' enemies to betray him. Who can endure betrayal and still treat the betrayer with such love? Who of you, if you had the power, could face Roman soldiers coming for you, but not call down lightning from heaven? Who can endure the fist of soldiers that dealt out injustice with every punishing blow and bear no resentment in your hearts? Who could be spat upon, mocked, ridiculed for hours on end and still wish that these would be forgiven? come forward tonight, especially aware of our spiritual handicaps. And the first picture that you have with you tonight speaks exactly to that. See, you have have a picture, you have three pictures there, and we're going to look at the top one first. It's a picture of of a table, and, and that's King David's table. King David has now settled into his kingdom, and All enemies have been overcome. And he looks around at the mounds of grape and the the bread that's still hot as it has come out of the oven. Fresh vegetables picked just for him and the finest meat set also on his table and all the uh, aromas and the appeal of that feast. And there's something still missing with David. The table isn't quite complete. And so he, he calls forward a man named Ziba. Ziba is a servant, or used to be a servant, of King Saul. And, and, and King Saul was, of course, David's enemy, and they, they had basically been at it. But, but Saul tried to kill him, and David didn't strike back. But David was faithful to God, and David was eventually given the throne as God was faithful to his promises. And so without malice in his heart, David asked for one of the servants of King Saul, his former rival. And he asked if there's anyone, anyone in Saul's family left that he can show kindness to. And Ziba thinks about it for a moment. He says, well, yeah, there is. There's, there's, there's a boy named Mephibosheth. His friends called him Bo. We'll go with that. Mephibosheth was, was the grandson of King Saul. And and he called forward Mephibosheth out of his love of of his friend, Jonathan, who was the son of Saul. Bo was Jonathan's son. And and he calls forward Bo not just out of this traditional rage that a king might have against his enemies. You know, that long-standing tradition when a king takes a throne from a rival, he will kill everyone associated with the king who might be a threat to power, especially children and grandchildren. But he doesn't do that. Instead, he invites forward Bo, and he says that you may sit at my table. Now, the thing about Mephibosheth is that he's crippled in both of his feet. And that's why you have the crutches on your picture as well. 
David sits down now at peace because the restless grace that he had was finally fulfilled. It was no longer gnawing at the back of his mind, but he had finally invited the person who should have been there all along to the table, and now he was sitting and dining with him. And the table now was truly a beautiful table because of Bo's presence there. And as we think about tonight, as we think about the Lord's Supper, we also look at another beautiful table where, where Jesus is gathered with his disciples, an hour that has been long in coming. And Jesus says that I have eagerly desired to gather with you at this table. And so it is there that, that Jesus unveils this work of beauty right before the disciples' eyes. After the supper, he takes bread and, and he breaks it and gives it to him, saying, this is my body. He lifts up the cup, saying, this is the blood of the new covenant, which is shed for you. Now, there are seven feasts in the Old Testament. There are seven annual feasts that the people kept. And in this moment, in this little meal, Jesus surpasses all of them. Because by offering his body and his blood to his apostles, he is bringing in a new covenant, a covenant that is no longer of works but of faith, that all who believe in Jesus and all who come to receive his body and his blood will receive forgiveness of sins and salvation. This is a greater feast than any feast has ever come before. And this moment is especially beautiful when we think about how Jesus is gathered at this table and the 12 apostles are there next to him. And it reminds us of, of Exodus where Moses and the 70 elders of Israel dined on top of Mount Sinai there with God as well, feasting with him. Those elders had authority over the kingdom of Israel, and now these apostles would also be given authority over the kingdom of Israel. Authority to give this meal to all who believe. But this moment doesn't stay. It doesn't last. In fact, almost immediately after this, this beautiful moment comes, the disciples fall into conflict. As soon as the gift is given, they start to fight over it. They start to argue over who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And isn't that just so church? <laughs> isn't that just so people of God? That the moment, the moment a gift is given from Christ to his church, that's the same moment we start to argue over who's in charge of it. In the earliest of days, the church has always acknowledged the true presence, the body and blood of Jesus Christ and the Lord's Supper. And also, there's a long history of conflict and fighting over this meal. What it is, what it means, who gets to have it. And we find ourselves in that conflict too. We desire to be in charge over what the Lord says about this meal. We desire to be in power and authority over it. We come forward to the table, imposing ourselves upon the table because we want to keep our sins and have our body and blood too. We want repentance to be just a thought that we have of sorrow over our sins and not an actual turning away from those sins. We also struggle, again, over who should come. Instead of standing together in unity of faith, believing together, and the real body and blood, we say, no, that's impractical, that's unreasonable. That can't happen to ask people to know that and believe that. That's not real. Instead of just commending people to Jesus' simple words, this is my 
body. This is my blood. And letting them be discipled under those words that he says himself about the bread and wine. And we talk out of both sides of our mouths. While we say this, that it should be open for everybody, we also don't do a lot of that opening for everybody. While we say it should be open, we don't go and open the door. If we say that it is for everybody, then why do we struggle so hard to to tell people about these amazing gifts? People who are different from us. People who are of a different race, a different class, a different way of life. Why don't we proclaim the, the mystery and the wonder of coming before our Lord and receiving his body and blood to people who are different from us? all of our struggles and and, and, and conflict and and fighting and strife. You wonder if it was wise for Jesus to leave his disciples after this meal. And as we read the story more, perhaps that thought is confirmed as we think about how the disciples did flee the moment things got tough. And before that, they were falling asleep in the garden, still not aware of what was going on, no matter how many times Jesus tried to prepare them for this moment. Jesus would be betrayed, and and, and then later also denied by one of his own. Which brings us to the second image. The second image you have there on your sheet, of course, is is perhaps the most famous image of the Lord's Supper. It is Leonardo da Vinci's The Last Supper. And of course, it's, it's it's a mural that has lasted the test of time, but not in the way that you might think. You see, while it is a masterpiece by any standard, it still wasn't perfect. And I'm not an art critic, I'm just telling you the history. But the way that the paints were mixed did not actually stick well to the wall that it was painted on. And shortly after da Vinci finished it, it had to be restored. But not only that, throughout its history, all kinds of calamity has occurred to the Last Supper, the original one. During the Napoleonic Wars, French soldiers stationed near the original piece by da Vinci used the mural of the Last Supper as target practice. They leveled their muskets and shot them at Jesus and the disciples. In World War II, a bomb fell about 80 feet away from the mural, covered it in rubble, and it was thought that it was destroyed. And fortunately, it was in a condition that was salvageable. And so each time destruction and chaos and conflict came to the table, each time this painting was restored, and here's why. Because when da Vinci was, was painting this piece, he did something rather unique. As you look at the painting, you notice that, that, the, that the, the perspective is just straight on to Jesus, right? You go like a line right over the disciples' heads. The, the room itself sort of welcomes you in to that moment. The geometry of the painting is immaculate. And it's all for a simple reason. Vinci took a nail before he started painting, and he hammered it into the wall, made a nail mark. And that nail mark is actually now Jesus' head. So anytime the painting has been destroyed or something like that, this this mark has been found, then the lines were traced out again so that the painting could be restored over and over and over again. And they could do it today if necessary. What a wonder that is, especially in this week where we've seen beautiful architecture and art destroyed, rejoicing over some of it being saved in the fire in Notre Dame. 
This piece, though, this, this piece of, by Leonardo, this depiction of the Lord's Supper has endured the worst, and it's still there just because of a simple nail mark. Jesus' death his dying on the cross, his being covered in our sin, his atonement for that sin, his victory over that sin, over your sin, his victory over death, his victory over Satan. It's like that nail mark. Jesus has pierced the power of all that would cause us to fall into unbelief. It would cause us to fall into strife and conflict and fighting against one another. This cross of Jesus is that nail mark that puts everything back in perspective again. His resurrection brings us back into alignment with him as well. It was not that Jesus left his disciples with that gift without ever them seeing him again, but instead... He said to them that that I will not drink this cup with you until it is fulfilled in my kingdom. And so the disciples were wandering down the Emmaus road, and all of a sudden, there's a man who appears to them in conversation, and this man doesn't seem to know what's going on, what happened in Jerusalem over the weekend. And the disciples are astounded by this. How could you not know? Sky covered in darkness. The earth shook, let alone the gossip. How could you not know? This man continues to walk with them, and he explains to them everything. And they recognize that it was Jesus, but only when he broke bread with them. Only when he broke bread. Only when he gave that meal again of his body and blood, his supper with the disciples. There, there once again, he brought everything back perspective and he does the same for us we believe in a Christ who suffered and who was crucified we believe in a Christ who has a living presence among us that presence comes to us in this bread and in this wine for the forgiveness of our sins the strengthening of our faith salvation it fills us up again with love for one another this supper is that nail mark that puts everything back in perspective as the living Jesus comes and plants himself among us again and again and again, though we fall away, though we struggle, though we fight, it is there. Forgiveness, mercy, and salvation. By the way, the argument that the disciples had, Jesus did settle that too. He did. He says to them a question. Who's the greatest? You want to know, you guys are arguing. You want to know who's in charge. You want to know who's the best. Let me ask you a question. Who's the greatest? The person who reclines at the table or the servant? The obvious answer is the person who reclines at the table, the person being served. Jesus reminds them that he came to serve them. And that leads us to the last picture that you have there in your handout. I'm not sure exactly how to pronounce the artist's name, but it's, it's one of my favorite paintings of The Last Supper by an artist named Tintoretto, maybe. I, I see one person who knows Italian nodding. Is that good? Tintoretto. 
And there's a whole lot going on in that painting. If, if you look at it closely, you'll find some random things. You have servants who don't really know what's going on. They're just serving out the food, doing their job. And also there's a basket down the floor by the table, and there's just a cat. There's a cat peeking into the basket. Nowhere in the Gospels do we have any story about a cat being there, but there's just this random cat now in this painting. And, and above it are the invisible angels, the host of heaven, flying around, singing probably the praises of God in this moment as Jesus gives his body and his blood to his disciples. What is Jesus doing? He's not commanding that everything stop. He's not saying, everyone focus on me. Even as some of his disciples are having little side conversations, he's not reprimanding Judas, though he sits on the other side of the table, not illuminated by Jesus' light. He's not lashing out. He's not angry. He's not frustrated. But what is he doing? But he's pouring out mercy which he has infinite supply. And he continues to do that even now. The crucified and risen Jesus comes and gives us himself. When we all gather together and believe and, and hear those words and receive forgiveness and salvation, well, that is truly a beautiful table. Christ is filled with peace and grace, and that grace is restless, though, until we all come to him.